Hallelujah. Good to see everybody here this evening and what a powerful missions presentation, eh? How about we give it up for Pastor Mitch? Man, this heart for the cause of the King. Hallelujah. And I love our focus as a church right now. King and a cause. The King is none other than Jesus. Somebody say amen. amen. And the cause of the King recorded in the Gospel of Luke 19.10. It says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. His cause is our cause. Yes. If you agree, give him an applause. <laughs> yeah. All right, it's all about us here tonight. His mission is our mission, the Great Commission. In Zechariah 9 verse 9, it says, rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph. Oh, people of Jerusalem, look. And here it is. Your king is coming. Your king is coming to you. He is righteous, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word by the power of the Holy Spirit. Breathe your word deep within us. Let it penetrate like a two-edged sword. We ask and thank you in the name of our King. Jesus, we pray. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. neighbor. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. neighbor. Wake up. Wake up. The, king the king is coming. The king is coming. Now, I'm not talking about the Sacramento Kings or the Sydney Kings if basketball is your thing. <laughs> I'm not talking about the Kings Heralds if you're old enough to remember what they sing. I'm not talking about the Gypsy Kings or even the King of the Jungle if Akuna Matata <laughs> makes you want to cha-cha. Mm-mm. I'm talking about the King that turned water into wine at the wedding in Cana. I'm talking about the king that walked on water on the Sea of Galilee. I'm talking about the king that called out in a loud voice when he was there for days, Lazarus, come out! And out he came. I'm talking about the king that cast a legion of demons from a madman and put them in the bacon and pigs. The king that mixed his saliva with dirt, put it on the blind man's eyes so he could see. And what a sight it must have been when he saw the face of the king. Yeah. Yeah. The king that stood up in a storm and said, peace, be still. And even the winds and the waves obeyed. The king that took what wasn't enough and made it more than enough to feed more than 5,000 on one occasion and 4,000 on another occasion. The king who taught experienced fishermen how to fish with one instruction, throw your nets to the other side. There was more fish burgers to feed the town of Capernaum. The king that prayed in the garden of Gethsemane and stress and agony causing drops of blood to fall from his brow. The same king that was betrayed, arrested, 
tried and crucified. The king that died, conquered death, rose again and ascended into heaven, into heaven. That king is coming again. Turn to the person next to you and say, it ain't over, baby. It ain't over, baby. The king is coming. The king is coming. That was just the entree. We know that he was here, and why he was here was to seek and save the lost. So the question is, and we heard the question from Bethany, why? Why come back to a place that even to this day rejects him? To a place that mocks and ridicules him? Why is he coming back to a place that even denies him? I work in a crisis unit with teenagers, and it breaks my heart seeing the endless number of young people that flood through the system from all walks of life, broken, abused, traumatized, neglected, rejected. Some of them actually come from nice homes with good parents, but broken families, fatherless generations. Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.1, but understand this, that in the last days, there will be times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, meaning they're unsatisfied, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying, denying its power. That's the world we live in. And a reminder to all of us, if Jesus isn't enough, no person or thing will ever be. The king is coming. But why? We know when he was here, he was here to seek and save the lost. But why come back a second time? Well, the answer, praise God, is found on Mount Zion in the upper room in the Last Supper. You see, Jesus was from Galilee. And not all Jews lived in Galilee, but two-thirds of the gospel took place in Galilee. That was Jesus' stomping ground. And for Galilean Jews, they had their own customs and traditions that only Galileans would understand. I went to a boys' school, high school, one of many high schools I went to. And um, we had a hand signal. That's supposed to be a K. I don't know if it looks like a K, but that's a K. The school was called Calston Boys. And even to this day, when you know someone's from Calston Boys, what's up? I don't know if the Galileans had a uh, hand signal, but throughout the Bible, you see that Jesus would use and teach with parables that a Jew, especially a Jew from Galilee, would relate and understand. 
Now, for someone, I'm talking about me, who didn't like weddings, didn't like going to weddings, didn't enjoy being at weddings, but praise God, he did something, changed my heart, and now I have the honor and privilege to participate in some beautiful weddings. I now understand why the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy marriages. And that's because it's the most powerful union, communion, created by God. And here's why the king is coming. You see, a wedding, even to this day, was one of the most, if not the most important event that took place in Galilee. It was different from all the other regions. The very first thing that would happen is called the ketubah or an agreement, the betrothal, and this would happen out in the open. And the reason this is out in the open, the agreement would be read by the groom's father to the bride's family. And for this agreement to be validated, there had to be witnesses. That's why when you get married and you have to have witnesses to validate that marriage. And when this is read out in the open, whoever heard the good news that there was a wedding, they would make their way to where it was all happening so they would witness the agreement, the marriage covenant being read. The invitation was open. And once the agreement was read and costly gifts were exchanged, this is the payment for the bride, what happened next is that the groom would hand his bride a cup. And this cup was called the cup of joy. And at this moment in front of witnesses, the bride had the choice to reject or accept the proposal, the agreement, the marriage covenant. If she accepted, then she would drink from the cup of joy, and this will then set her apart, holy, sanctified. She was now exclusively for the bridegroom. Are you getting the picture? The groom will then take the same cup that the bride drank from, and he also will take a drink from the cup to seal the covenant between bride and groom. The price had been paid. And the groom was now committed to the bride. And then the groom would say these words. I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until I drink it with you again in my father's house. Everyone say, hmm. Where have we heard these words before? The bride and groom will then go their separate ways and what would happen, which could take up to a year, is the preparation would now be set in motion for the wedding celebration. The bride and her bridesmaids over time would collect material to make their wedding gowns and decorate themselves. And as it got closer, anywhere from, anywhere from up to a year, some of us get married on the same day we get engaged, but they would sleep in their wedding gowns waiting for the arrival of the bridegroom. The bridesmaids will also purchase lamps and extra oil. Hmm. 
the parable of the ten virgins. As for the groom, well, he will begin to gather material, not just for the wedding feast, but he will purchase material to build a house, a room, an extension to his father's house, so that where he is, his bride will also be. In other words, what he is saying to his bride is, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, come on somebody, you may be also. Everyone say, hmm, where we heard those words. Other regions knew when their bridegroom was coming. People knew when the wedding was going to take place. Nowadays, we get a notice a year in advance to save the date, and we still forget to RSVP. <laughs> However, for a Galilean wedding, no one knew the day nor the hour, not even the sun. The only one that knew when the wedding was going to happen was the father. Mm. And so, only when the father of the bridegroom was satisfied that the extended room and everything was in place and ready for the bride, the father would wake his son in the middle of the night. And only then would he say to him, it's time, go get your bride. The Last Supper was a wedding invitation when we have communion, common union, where Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus wants you to remember that you are the bride. He is the bridegroom and he is preparing a place for you. John 14, 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. I love the New Living, Living Translation. It says, when everything is ready, everyone say ready. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Yeah. Team can come up. I don't know about you, but that sounds like good enough news for me. 1 Corinthians 15, 52, it says, It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. The bride wasn't to know when the groom was coming. The bride was only to be ready. The groom in the silence of the night, when he gets approval from his father, when most people are asleep, will blow the ram's horn announcing that he is going to get his bride and when he reaches her, he places her on a cart called a litter, a chair on two long poles, where she is lifted into the air and carried back to the father's house. This is literally called flying the bride to the father's house, where they will be together. After the bride has been carried away to the father's house and those that are awake follow, the doors are shut and the wedding feast begins and it lasts 
for seven days. John, the disciple of Jesus, writes in Revelation 69, When I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, this is speaking to John, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Seven years of celebration or seven years of tribulation, the king is coming for his bride. Yes, we need to be excited. Yes, we need to stay united. The real question is, who have we invited? Jesus on his way to Jerusalem passed through Jericho and runs into Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector who was not liked by his community because they called him a sinner. But Jesus turns up and says, Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today. Is there a must in your heart to share the invitation? Jesus came to seek and save the lost. The great commission is that we share the good news of salvation, the gospel to everyone, everywhere, to accept the King's invitation. And if you haven't heard about this invitation or haven't accepted this invitation, then this invitation is being handed to you right now. The King is coming. Father, thank you for your word. As we are ready, help us to help others be ready so that we can all be together with you forever. Bless those that hear your word, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.